0: Good evening everyone. Welcome. I would like to begin by acknowledging the generous cooperation of the Asia Institute and the University of Melbourne uh, in providing uh, such a great venue for for tonight's uh, event. Um, My role here is um, really as a a, a co-organiser, but I feel very privileged that we have um, Mr. Tae Yong Ho on his first visit to Australia and only his second engagement. Uh, uh, as part of that visit uh, to be here talking, us, um, talking to us tonight and, and we'll be leading uh, Tay in conversation uh, with um, uh, Professor Song uh, and we both met um, Mr Tay in Seoul just about a, a year and a half ago um, I should also uh, in, in the interest of full disclosure um, let you know that um, I have a personal connection with Mr Tay going back uh, a little bit further than that Um, In a previous walk of life, I worked for the UK Foreign Office in London, uh, and I was the North Korea and South Korea uh, analyst there. And uh, um, Mr. Tay at that time was my occasional interlocutor, occasional sparring partner, uh, and we would often uh, take long walks in St. James's Park, just close by the Foreign Office, which actually, looking back, was a professional highlight of mine. Uh, So it was um, uh, a great pleasure to see um, Mr. Tay then, on, as it were, on the other side of the fence, um, unrestrained in what he could say and what he thinks. And I think um, he is not just uh, one of the most high-ranking uh, defectors in recent years, but he is a, a, a walking authority on North Korea. Uh, and that knowledge and acumen can only come from someone who spent their time living and working in North Korea as a professional uh, diplomat. And that, I think, gives him a pedigree that no North Korea analyst outside can hope to match. And that's why I think the insights that he brings and the honesty and clarity with which he presents uh, that, uh, and also the courage, the moral courage, to have taken the extremely uh, risky decision to uh, defect from, from North Korea uh, and the security that you saw tonight as you came in is a reflection of the fact um, that there are continuing risks uh, around that. So I would also, um very thankful for you for taking the, the risk and the effort to come uh, uh, all the way to a, a Australia today. Maybe just to get the, the conversation started, um, I'll ask you a, a general question uh, and then um, Dr. Song can uh, take over in the next round of questions. But... What does it feel like to be a defector if you've now had three years since your experience of um, crossing the line uh, in London uh, and you're now based in South Korea you've been all over the world to tell your story um, but what are the what are the surprises? What were the expectations that um, were, were fulfilled, and what actually was most surprising to you in, the, in that intervening three-year period looking back?
1: Okay, thank you very much for your wonderful presentation. If you allow me, I would like to say a few words to the audience about our you know, past relationship of how, yes, <laughs> how we spied each other. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, at that time, when I was in London, at that time I was the councillor of embassy and I was number two and... The ambassador at that time was the current North Korean foreign minister Ri Yong-ho, and Ri uh, Yong-ho was actually the the direct uh, the uh, foreign policy uh, reporter to Kim Jong-il at that time. And at that time, it was uh, in America, it was a Bush administration's uh, the period, and that was the just years before the North Korea's first nuclear test. So at that time, Kim Jong-il thought very deeply whether North Korean can cross over that red line or not. And if North Korea uh, did that kind of nuclear test, then what would be the response from the free world? And would America can actually attack uh, North Korea? Because in uh, 1993, at that time, Clinton administration actually planned the surgical strike against North Korea in order to annihilate North Korea's nuclear facilities. So before 2006, the first nuclear test, we wanted to read the Americans and then free world mind. Then how do we read? Because if I meet Yuan in his official office, then the the talk is very, It's a little bit, you know, limited in the atmosphere. So and in North Korean foreign uh, activity, no diplomat is allowed uh, to meet uh, privately with the counterpart. So we need a special permission how we can read. And I was uh, uh, privileged to meet uh, my alone uh, privately with Yuan. And we decided to meet not in the office, but St. James Park. And we wanted to read whether if we cross this line, whether the free world will attack North Korea or not. Because we, we, in, at that time, all the embassies worldwide want to read Americans and British what was their plan. And then at that time, after the Iraq War, Britain, uh, the politics was involved about the cause of Iraq War. Tony Blair was in a very difficult period, and American and Britain failed to find out the mass destruction uh, weapons, you know, the facilities and materials of all these. So after these kind of, you know, spy games, North Korea learned and decided that if North Korea conduct first nuclear uh, test, there will be no uh, America's military uh, surgical strike or whatever. That is the conclusion uh, we got. So it was a really a long process of uh, spying each other, you are always right. What is the real intention? When and what is the final? Is the whether North Korea's nuclear development is just a kind of you know bargaining chip, or North Korea is really want to get that nuclear weapon? So that was, I think, the basic the character of our spying, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I,
0: I think you were you, you were better at it than I was.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, and. Uh, If I come to your questions now it is my uh, third year in uh, South Korea and you know I was a diplomat uh, of North Korea but in North Korea you know uh, the whole country is disconnected uh, from the world Uh, and there is no internet. Uh, but uh, North Korean diplomats are privileged to have access to the Internet. So during my profession in uh, London, I tried very hard to learn as much as about South Korea, freedom, democracy, all, all these things. So I thought myself that I really knew a lot about uh, South Korea. But now, after I arrived in South Korea and when I was deeply involved, in South Korean politics, culture, of all these environments, uh, I learned that my knowledge was not uh, uh, enough to fully understand South Korea. So, I think South Korean, uh, I think the environment of political culture is very much complicated. And as my private life is concerned, of course, you know, the life in South Korea is not uh, easy, but uh, I am happy with it because now I can do anything uh, what I want to do. So I'm a, now I enjoy uh, the, actual, the, the merit of freedom in my late 50s.
2: Uh, first of all, thank you so much for making the long trip from South Korea, and congratulations for making the first trip to Australia, and also making all the way down to Melbourne. And miss some of my students, you're so yes. lucky. <laughs> In one of the tutorial, he made a surprise visit. <laughs> so the student have, who is he? <laughs> rolling eyes. So then Googling you know, his name, realized who he is now. But thank you so much for mm-hmm. your very um, special trip. Um, personally, I, I feel... Like, Great privilege to have you here and also two of your colleagues as well. Um, my question is more about your uh, elite education, your life back in uh, North Korea. We all know that you're from a very privileged uh, family, not just yourself but also your wife is a relative of a, uh, Kim Il-sung's comrade. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so you're both from very uh, privileged family background and going to, uh, obviously you're very smart and clever to go to Pyongyang University of Foreign Studies. And how are the um, uh, North Korean diplomat, the elites uh, are selected from, is it starting from a very young age? What's yes. it like the university system in, in Pyongyang?
1: Yeah, oh, now North Korea uh, uh, terms me as human scum and uh, traitor. Yes, but actually uh, I am a traitor uh, to uh, North Korean system because I really uh, betrayed uh, all those benefits and privileges which I enjoyed. Uh, in my life uh, I would like to tell the audience that uh, North Korea is the uh, only country in 21st century where uh, they still keep a very strict uh, class system so whole population of North Korea are categorized into three classes the first one is core class and second one is wavering and third one is child class and I was very lucky because I was born in core class so if you are a core class then you have much more availability of your residence opportunity of education and opportunity of the job so I I, I was lucky and also uh, I worked very hard in my primary school so when I reached the age of 12 I uh, had examination, uh, not all the students, pupils of North Korea can get that kind of opportunity, but I w- was born in core class, so I passed the examination to enter a foreign language school when I was 12 years old, and when I entered that foreign language school, all of a sudden uh, I received a English BBC Lingaphone course, uh, this is a British textbook, and when I, we start to learn, at that time, there was no any relationship between, it was two, uh, uh, 1974, so uh, there was no any uh, relation between North Korea and the free world. So that's why uh, English education was important, but how to teach uh, English to young generation of North Korea was really a, a problem. So they just imported uh, one or two a British lingophone courses and copy it and then distribute as a textbook and when I opened the textbook I was surprised to see that the the pictures of that textbook was really surprising for instance in Britain when British people have a breakfast, they have a lot of things bacon, what is bacon? Ham, milk <laughs> cheese, of all these things at that time even though I was born in rich family in North Korea for breakfast you have only kimchi and rice and soup that's all but in britain you have a lot of things on the tables and uh, when i was 12 yeah and i when i entered that uh, school uh, you know the school even uh, showed the young students of british and american films like mary poppins or sound of music but we were taught in primary school that america is our small enemy you know but all of a sudden we watch these films so and the teachers always uh, taught us that you are a privileged, you know, generation. So that's why the things you learn, the things you watch, the contents of the films you watch should be uh, stay at your heart. Not you shouldn't tell it to your former friends or even your family members, whatever. So I was very privileged to have that kind of uh, education. And when I was fourteen, all of a sudden, the party ordered me to go to China to. Uh, Studies so I was sent to China at age of 14 yes Uh, so in a sense uh, I am really very privileged uh, and very beneficial life and when I uh, became diplomat I even was privileged to take my family members to European capitals In, in North Korea nobody can dream of going abroad with their family members because there is no even freedom Uh, of moving from one city to another. But I was privileged to take my wife and children to London, Stockholm, Copenhagen. So to North Korean standards, I'm really a traitor.
0: (laughs) I think the subversive value of Mary Poppins is never to be (laughs) underestimated is one of the key takeaways from from, uh, Mr. Tay's memoir. I'm going to um, go straight into some of the questions because they're coming in thick and fast and I think um, there's no reason to to wait on that. Um, But there's a lot of interest in the theme of reunification, which I know is something that professionally occupies a lot of your uh, time now. Uh, And the question is, do you want reunification in whose best interest is it? Um, Maybe I can also ask you to talk a little bit about how the, the attitudes to reunification differ between the North and the South, because you have uniquely seen it from both countries, and also it, amongst the older people and younger people.
1: Oh, I think uh, uh, the Korean uh, reunification would take really a long uh, process than uh, expected uh, because uh, the current, uh, the, uh, the established generation Look into this process of uh, reunification uh, quite uh, differently. Uh, for instance, uh, from the southern part uh, of the peninsula, now for young gener, more and more young generations are not interested at all in uh, reunifying again with the north. Uh, while the old generation in seventies 70s and seventies, 70s, they think that oh, North Korea. Uh, the people are our brothers so we should be re, uh, united again in the future but while the young generation South Korea oh no 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 why or you know they are not interested at all of uh, uh, reunifying with the North but if you look back to the uh, North Korea uh, also there is a generation uh the gap the current uh, generation which is called the in North Korean terms the second generation now uh, in north korea kim jong un is the only person in 30s in north korean leadership the rest of the north korean leadership around kim jong un are all in 60s 70s or 80s so the supreme leader of north korea is his third generation but he is surrounded with the second generation of all these people and the second generation of north korea and also second generation of south korea they regard the issue of reunification as a kind of overwhelming the others like uh, observe or merging or winning the other part issue of the korean peninsula but while the younger generation in north korea they are different from young generation in south korea young generation in south korea they are not interested not all but majority of the young generations are not interested in reunification but The young generation in the northern part, they're different because they learned the failure of North Korean system. So that's why they are looking for something new. They are very eager to know about uh, South Korea and that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, South Korean movies and dramas are very popular in North Korea. North Korean regime tried very hard to prevent the inflow of South Korean, uh, the uh, the, uh, the cultures, but uh, there is a great demand by young generations. So that's why that demand was commercialized by the smugglers. So new films and cultural contents are going to the North Korea's uh, young generations and they reach it. So where I was in North Korea, I tried very hard to Stop my children watching South Korean movies and dramas. I said it is very dangerous. If you are caught by the police by carrying these, you know the USB uh, sticks, you see, then you would be sent to prison or whatever. So I strongly ask my sons not to watch it. But because of the uh, this kind of uh, IT, uh, the technology now, the in the past twenty years, the size of this physical uh, South Korean cultural contents are uh, getting smaller and smaller so even 10 years ago if you want to watch uh, no- South Korean movie you have to buy uh, this size of uh, DVD uh, DVDs yes but nowadays even it is now uh, smaller to that of this uh, smaller size like SD card so for instance uh, the young children in North Korea they always take that SD card and if the teacher or police search their bodies, they either, you know, uh, put it in their nose. So in North Korea, this card is called nose card, you know, <laughs> they, they can very easily uh, keep it all, I say, under the, you know, the, the sack. So that's why I strongly indeseech that this kind of very strong demand for information and for uh, the, uh, the knowledge about South Korea can, I think, make one day that the similar things what is going on in Hong Kong may uh, take place in North Korea one day. They may ask, you know, same value or same treatment like uh, South Korea. So I think the push of future uh, Korean reunification would come from northern part, not from the southern part. That is my uh, predictions.
2: I have a sort of relevant question to that. So uh, there are a lot of activists who um, uh, advocate for the access to information is very important. So smuggling those uh, you know, SD cards or USB sticks containing information about outside world, smuggling them into North Korea through the China-North Korea border, that's been advocated educa- by many activists. But uh, if you see from uh, Chinese or North Korean sovereignty or uh, their perspective, it's an illegal activity. Smuggling goods is an illegal activity. It's a highly, highly dangerous for those who are doing those acts. Um, what, what's your what's your take on um, you know this approach? Uh, uh, international human rights activists uh, smuggling DVD versus that's against the sovereignty of the two countries.
1: Hmm. Oh, uh, before I tell. Uh, uh to uh, answer that question, I think I have to uh, uh, emphasize and note the current uh, the, uh, changes uh, inside North Korea, especially among the popular masses. For instance, in the past 20 years, there was a wide spread of capitalist market elements even inside North Korea, in spite of strong crackdown by the government. Now the numbers of this uh, free market of black market even passed over 440. So American satellite system can detect and uh, the increase of uh, fast increase of this black and uh, free markets in uh, North Korea. So the one thing is sure that uh, Kim Jong-un regime cannot uh, stop this spread of capitalist uh, the elements inside North Korea. And also in North Korea's 70 years of history, uh, Kim Jong-un regime had seen a mass resistance once. In November of 2009, Kim Jong-un decided to have a devaluation currency reform. But within one month, the whole masses of North Korea protested and did not accept this uh, currency reform. So after one month of this currency due uh, violation reform, it turned out to be failure. So in order to turn the responsibility from him to uh, the other people, Kim Jong-il, uh, officially uh, persecuted Pang nam Yi, then who was in charge of North Korean currency system. So through this, Kim Jong-un learned that if he controls too much economically, uh, on the spread of uh, capitalist elements in North Korea, then he would mean uh, the final day. So that's why what is uh, the, taking place, that now Kim Jong-un is a little bit flexible on this, this kind of uh, economic, uh, the uh, capitalist uh, elements spreading. But he is more tough on the spread of cultural, uh, the contents from South Korea. And for how to disseminate uh, uh, those uh, South Korean cultural contents in the past uh, 10 or 20 years uh, North Korean uh, young generation people just merely uh, watched uh, South Korean movies and dramas at it, as it is. So I think what I always propose to Uh, North Korean human rights activists and whatever, I always uh, tell them that now it's time to make uh, tailor-made the content in order to educate uh, young generations and uh, North Korean people. For instance, uh, I wrote one story how my children were frustrated and furious when they learned that uh, Kim Jong-un's brother, uh, Kim Jong-chol, Traveled to London to watch you uh, see Eric Clapton. I wrote in my book uh, That one day uh, I was instructed all of a sudden I was uh, given the, uh, the password from Kim Jong-un's office to open my email, so I opened my email and they uh, phoned me the first password is this and that so I happened to uh, open that uh, the instructions and then I learned that uh, somebody's coming to London to watch Eric Clapton, and I was ordered to buy six tickets for this delegation. And in North Korea, who can travel to London to watch Eric Clapton in a very short span of time? And I was ordered to, you know, uh, book uh, the expensive, you know, uh, the hotels, uh, a lot of seats of all these things. So I thought it must be the Kim Jong un you know, even though he changed his names or whatever. So I planned all of this, and then but. I accepted this as kind of granted, you know, because they are member of royal family. Royal family are privileged people. They can do anything. That was my, you know, the concept. So, but I can't even report what I'm planning even to my ambassador because that that's why it, only direct communication system was established between me and Kim Jong-un's office. The point is that I just disappeared one day from the embassy and from my family because Kim jong Chul was arriving. So I went up to the airport. I took to the hotels and then, you know, I didn't tell where I go. So all of a sudden I disappeared and my boys wanted to know where, where, where I am, you know, I can't back. So I stayed together with Kim jong Chul. But uh, it happened to be that uh, when Kim jong chul first arrived Royal Albert Hall to watch the first performance of Eric Clifton, he was detected by Japanese journalists. There were many Japanese journalists. Who, uh, I don't know how I don't know how they got that information. They knew Kim Jong un was coming. We kept it as a top secret, but they were. New. Cameras were already there, so it was opened. Maybe so, was uh, I'm not sure. Maybe British intelligence. Maybe. <laughs> So, that night, the world media, BBC, you know, uh, uh, the Sky News, they all see, showed Kim Jong-chol's face together with my face. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting him in and out. I saw that. You saw that, right. And after Kim Jong-chol left uh, uh, London, uh, I came back to, you know, uh, my home. And then the first question my boys asked is that, how was it possible, Debbie? So, what do you mean? You know, the performance of Eric Clinton was regarded as anti-socialist, dirty music. North in North Korean universities and schools, we were taught from young that these kind of you know musics are dirty. Then we should not watch it. How the, the member of the you know the Kim family spent so much money to watch that travel, stay in so. As a young generation of North Korea, you see, my children cannot accept it. You know, it's what a hypocrisy, you know. They ask the normal people to lead a humble life. do not watch South Korean or British or America. They all call it anti-socialist, you know, those you know, dirty whatever. But the member of the loyal family, they do anything. So my sons cannot accept. They are very furious, so I can... Have I have to justify because I was the organizer of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're the instruction, <laughs> Yes. So, so I see so that is one of the reasons that I think that you know in South Korea as well young generation are reluctant to old generation's instructions same thing in North Korea in North Korea young generations even though they are very heavily controlled they do not want to uh, Uh, listen to their parents or whatever, because they have already seen enough, the failed system. So that's why I think the future lies on next generation, I think.
0: Mr. Tay, when we were um, back in our professional days, as you put it, spying on each other, one of the things that made that so enjoyable was your sense of humor, Uh, as I think everyone here has already found out tonight, which gets to... Our most popular question tonight, which comes from Philip, and it's on the theme of humour. Uh, and it goes like this, Reagan used to collect jokes from the Soviet Union to see what kind of people they were from their humour, despite harsh circumstances. Can you tell us a North Korean joke? <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot with that, see if you can, if you can come up with a North, Korean, uh, a North Korean joke, and tell us a bit more broadly what is the role of humor in North, in North Korea? For ordinary North Koreans, do jokes play the same value that they do in other societies?
1: Oh, I, I, I tell about one of the jokes, you know, which uh, shows the big generation gap between the, uh, the parents and young generation. Uh, now, the old generation in North Korea, once they are retired... They uh, live very difficult life because there is no any uh, welfare or pension system uh, working in North Korea. So once you retire and you lost everything. So if you are lucky to have uh, uh, children who have good jobs to look after, like me, then you are lucky. But if your children do not have good jobs to look after their parents, then your rest of the life will be very uh, miserable. So from ta- there are a lot of you know this kind of a quarrel inside North Korean parents so one of the joke is that uh, when the parents tell their uh, children I mean the children in job they say that when they say I'm hungry and why don't you feed well because I fed you very well when you were young then the answer is that oh daddy you fed me in a state price do you understand what that means state fixed price that means when Uh, He was young, the North Korea's uh, socialist, uh, the welfare system was working, so that's why at that time the income of the parents were enough to feed uh, their children. Uh, So that's why they did not worry to uh, feed their children in uh, uh, 80s or 70s. For instance, when uh, I was born in 1962 and until the beginning of 1990s, uh, My family can make ends meet with the salary, but when I, my last salary from North Korea was in uh, Pyongyang, when I left uh, my department, at that time I was the Deputy Director General of European Department, and at that time my one month salary is 2,900 Korean won. At that time, how much is one kilo of rice in the market? 3,400 won. So with one month salary, I can't even afford to buy one kilo of rice. So if you have that kind of income, how can you feed your parents? So uh, the humor is that when parents say that, Oh, bring me more food. I'm hungry. They say that, Daddy, you raised me in state fixed price, but you asked me to feed you in black market price. (laughs) Yeah, it's re- it's it's really it's really a sad joke, you know. Yes, and everyone understands.
0: Yes, well, I mean, I'll take the, the focus to um, your life in in Seoul. Uh, this is something that I know um, Jay works on um, in her own research. But the question uh, is, how are you adapting to living in Seoul? because um, many defectors struggle to adapt with the change to South Korean society, which is one of the most competitive societies on earth. Even to be a South Korean can be stressful. But if you're a North Korean suddenly transposed into that society, what are the stresses and strains and how personally have you gone around coping with that?
1: Oh, First of all, uh, one of the uh the most difficult uh thing is language i i think because uh even though i think i'm fluent in south korean dialect but whenever you know i speak uh, for more than 30 minutes or 10 minutes south korean can easily uh, dictate that i'm not a south korean because you know i have a very strong pyongyang or accent so that is the language is the first difficulty the second difficulty is uh, even though I am from the elite group of North Korea but the cultural difference and actually uh, the, the, the general IT difference is so much, so great between North and South. So for instance if I uh, visit bank and the bank clerk you know ask me a lot, give me a lot of options and you know, then explain all things which I can only understand 20 or 30 is the uh, uh, percent. And in South Korea, everyone uses, for instance, Kakao Talk. If you want to transfer your money from your bank account to another, you have to put in your password and put in, how do you say, in Injungso, uh, you know, a special certificate. So you have to remember a lot of passwords to do. You know, so it is, so. this kind of, you know, the cultural difference uh, is a really uh, uh, difficult and another thing is that now I am number one uh, the assassination list by uh, Kim Jong-un regime so that's why I am really heavily protected in South Korea uh, my house is uh, 24 hours the uh, monitored by uh, South Korean police so virtually I do not have even a single second of freedom actually you know of mine whenever I go out or whatever I am Uh, heavily protected uh, by uh, South Korean security forces. And another thing is that even when I go out of my house, I have to disguise uh, myself, you know, I have to carry a hat, sunglasses, sometimes I put that, because why? First, you know, I'm afraid of North Korea's, you know, the spy agents. Second thing is that I'm even afraid of being uh, found out by neighbors. Because in South Korea, people are very much concerned about the price of their estate. And they do not want to, uh, their uh, neighbors, a kind of a political, high political issue, or whatever they think that these kind of things may reduce the price of their, you know, the <laughs> houses. So, uh, it is very uh, sensitive, this not to be found even by my neighbors, because when they found out that somebody may think that, oh, what if, if Kim Jong-un come and Explode all our apartments, you know, so that's why, you know, I have to be very careful even not to be detected by the neighbor. So these kind of things, you know, I have a lot of difficulties. But on the meanwhile, you know, I'm very happy because uh, I can do whatever I like and I can say whatever I like. I write uh, the columns in newspapers. I from time to time, I appear in TV shows to explain even you know, I'm very open to criticise South, South Korean government's policy on North Korea, but there is no any intervention or interference by South Korean government as well. So I'm really enjoying this kind of, you know, good quality of freedom in South Korea.
0: One obvious question, which gets back to your personal circumstances that's been asked, is what, what was the trigger point that motivated you to take that dramatic decision to defect? Oh, uh,
1: because... Uh, actually you know i uh understood this uh, hypocrisy of north korean system you know very long time ago but you know my job my profession was to uh, pretend uh, to be loyal you know to the society and my job was to do a propaganda work of north korean system so i'm used to this kind of double life but uh my sons uh my my sons were different because Uh, One of the great difference was the uh, period of education. I uh, was educated in North Korean system and and in China in such kind of communist system until uh, I first was a a post in Denmark. That was uh, 1996 when I was 32. So before the year of uh, age of uh, uh, 34, i didn't uh, realize the this kind of you know uh, contradictions or, or, or hypocrisy of north korean system but my children were different because my sons they entered to the british primary school or high school so from young they learned the freedom democracy human rights of these things and as a children of diplomat they had to switch every three or four years from this kind of free, you know, democratic human rights education to the most totalitarian dictatorship uh, the education. So every three or four years is a kind of switch from heaven to hell, from hell to heaven, all these things. So that's why they have very good uh, ability of compare to compare of to the systems. And I thought that their future life, once human beings know all these hypocrisies, then, if they are back in North Korea, they have to pretend that uh, as a kind of you know idiots That's, I think that kind of things would be very difficult for my sons. The triggering point was that in March of two thousand and sixteen, there were a uh, collective defection of uh, twelve North Korean waitresses from China. That was the first incident uh, happened in North Korean history. They were all in the past they were all. Uh, individual uh, defection cases not a kind of collective uh, defection of one organization you know, they're all defective so that means that they planned you know, in advance, whatever so after this incident, Kim Jong-un was shocked Uh, so he learned that because they watched too much South Korean movies and dramas they were too much open to the internet so Kim Jong-un's next dilemma that what would happen to North Korean uh uh, the diplomats' children, because they are all in uh, Western uh, universities or schools, uh, they are exposed to all these kind of free education, free concepts. So Kim Jong Un asked that university students of all North Korean diplomats must be back to North Korea before the end of July you know so my first son at that time was in uh, Hammersmith College in London he didn't finish his education but my first son was ordered to be back before the end of July so that kind of you know forced instructions to forcefully return all the university students of the diplomats you know angered me and my son so I was very much you know frustrated as well because I was very angry as a dad I can't even you know let my son finish his education I tried very hard to be loyal to the system but in return you know the, the system even did not let me allow to finish my son's education so this angered me very much and my son I think that can be yes
2: Regarding inter-Korean relations and North Korea-US relations, 2018 and this year is very different from 2017. We heard about uh, fire and fury and there was a very uh, sort of violent exchange of words between uh, North Korean and the US leaders. Um, and President uh, Moon, the South Korean president, is uh, pushing for the peaceful coexistence and peace uh, economy and really uh, uh, focusing and advocating the friendly, the pro-engagement with, with North Korea, which is quite different from the previous two presidents under uh Lee Myung-bak and Park Geun-hye. Um hye uh, uh, we, we know that you've been saying to the media and to the public that North Korea will never give up nuclear yes. weapons. So to what extent the uh, President Moon's uh, moonshines, the so-called the moonshine policy, will, will work and uh, uh, whether that will lead to denuclearization of North Korea?
1: Uh, some people may think that I'm uh, very uh, negative on uh, President Moon's North Korean policy, but that is not the true at all because I only uh, negative on some part of uh, current South Korean's policy on North Korea. Uh, before we talk about denuclearization issue, uh, uh, I think uh, North and South Korea is uh, sandwiched by big powers in this uh, region. And in order to uh, keep the uh, dynasty of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, Kim family choose the nuclear weapons as a kind of insurance for uh, next you know, few decades of their uh, rule. Uh, while uh, South Korea now is at the crossroad whether they would accept denuc- uh, nuclearized North Korea or not. And this is not the game between uh, North Korea and America, but this is also the game between uh, China and America and also uh, Russia. Uh, so this is a game among big players. So denuclearization of North Korea is not a, really an easy game. Uh, and also I strongly uh, uh, openly said that uh, Kim Jong-un will not uh, denuclearize, Kim family will not denuclearize uh, uh, North Korea anyway because uh, this nuclearization of North Korea took almost uh, quite a long time. North Korea started its developing of nuclear weapons even in the later of 1950s. Uh, right after uh, the Korean War. So it was a long history. So North Korean history is just a history of developing nuclear weapons, you know. So they can't say no to uh, the uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, the one thing we uh, uh, have to be clear is that uh, the South Korea's uh, Moon's uh, uh, Moon administration, Moon Jae-in's administration uh, the policy base. What is their, uh, the policy base of... Uh, inter-Korean reconciliation process uh, the people in the Moon Jae-in the government say that Kim Jong-un has made a very bold strategic decision to denuclearize of uh, North Korea in return for economic prosperity that's why if Trump administration together with the world give the enough uh, return then kim jong un will denuclearize i think that assumption is wrong uh, kim jong un will not denuclearize so uh, we have to accept a kind of you know the factor that kim jong un will not denuclearize but on the meanwhile the trick is then then how we can cope with the nuclearized north korea i think that is one of the very difficult uh, tactic which uh, current uh, south korean government uh, cope with and i think to me personally I think there is no way to denuclearize North Korea in a short uh, insight uh, in a near future I think only time can solve uh, this problem so only when young generation of North Korea stand up for change and and bring the change in North Korea then that is the way of denuclearize of North Korea the current denuclearization, negotiation, or peace talk with North Korea cannot reach the destination of denuclearization.
0: You talk about the young generation in North Korea, but this gets to an interesting question. Of course, Kim Jong-un is part of the young generation in North Korea, and um, doesn't that set up a a potential issue in in a Confucian society like Korea, where elders are revered and respected, how easy is it for, um, for, for elder North Koreans in the system to accept orders from such a young man?
1: Mm. Oh, North Korea uh, has been built uh, in a uh, concept of, uh, you mentioned the word of uh, Confucianism. Uh, but in North Korea, uh, uh, it's a kind of system of uh, one family. So in North Korean education, we are always uh, brainwashed that the whole North Korea is one family. That's why we should help each other. So if it is one family, then who is the father? So father is always from kin family. So when Kim Il-sung was alive, Kim Il-sung was the father of North Korean family. When Kim Jong-il is alive, then Kim Jong-il is the father of North Korean. When Kim Jong-un becomes the leader, and naturally, when he was appointed as the successor of Kim Jong-il, he naturally becomes the father of North Korean society. Then, Who is the mother? Mother is workers' party of Korea. And what are the rest? No matter how old you are, no matter what kind of brilliant history you have, in North Korean society, Kim are the father, workers' party of Korea is mother, the rest is minors. So, they have already established this kind of long tradition inside uh, North Korea. So when Kim Jong Un, in twenties, was appointed as the leader of North Korea, the leaders around him, who were in eighties, accepted this young leader in twenties as their father.
2: I hear from uh, other North Korean defectors that the concept of Trinity uh, in Christianity, Christian belief, is very similar to Juche ideology. Yes. Because it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and Juche ideology.
1: Yes. Yes. North Korea's uh, Juche idea, which is the philosophical base of North Korean society, is a very uh, uh, special idea. It is a kind of hybrid idea with Marxism, Leninism, and also Confucianism and even Christianity. Uh, so if you look into deeply in North Korea's uh, society and its uh, managing uh, system, it is very similar from Christian churches. So for instance, in North Korea, there is a constitution, but above constitution there is a party regulation. In North Korea, we call it ten monolithic ideological system. There is a 10 principles and where are the 10 principles from? This 10 principle is from the Christian 10 commandments. It is exactly the same. Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il just changed the word of God into Kim Il-sung and Kim (laughs) Jong-ilism. So for instance, number one, in 10th commandment, it is said that you should only believe god the number 1 of 10th principle is that north korea should be kim il sung and kim jong ilized you know n- number 3 for instance you should not believe in any uh, uh the cult except god but if you read number 3 of a 10th monological system you have to Absolutely believe only Kim Il Sung and Kim Jong Il. If you see those sequences and all this, it is almost the same. Kim Kim family even didn't change the, the orders of tenth commandment. It's was exactly same. If you go, if you go to your uh, handphone and compare these tenth commandments of Christianity and uh the. 10th principle it is exactly matches and for instance, the daily life of North Korea you know, uh, in 10th commandments of number 4 it says that uh, you should have a holiday at least once, one day a week so that means that you should go to church and uh, try your uh, religious belief practice your religious belief in North Korea it is the same every Saturday, every Saturday in North Korea Saturday is not a working day. So you should come to this kind of, you know, audience room and then you are supposed to listen all those teachings of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. From 9 o'clock to 9 o'clock, we call it a general review. That means that every one of the, uh, the unit is supposed to stand up and say about your mistakes to the other audiences. How do you say? The first thing you should that you should quote what Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il said exactly you can't fabricate it you just quote how Kim Jong-un said it it is something like in churches the priest always quote the Bible right and then you say about your mistakes so if you look detail of North Korean society, it is like you know a kind of you know religious feudal
0: system. One more question on the nature of North Korean society: um, We've been asked, uh, what about gender representation in the DPRK's foreign service and military? Is there a feminist movement, and how does this interact with the class system? Oh,
1: yes. According to the law of North Korea, there should be a. Uh, a kind of you know, gender equality according to the law but uh, the only place where you can see this kind of uh, gender equality is North Korea's uh, Supreme People's Assembly it is the parliament uh, where they always uh, open the number of the, the parliamentarians and then they always open the quarter of the, uh, the female that is the only place and. But in foreign service or military, the majority is, I think, 99% are the uh, male. Uh, So actually, uh, gender equality uh, is not uh, provided in North Korean system. It it is not only the matter of North Korea. If you look at the Marxist and Leninist theory and the rest of the uh, socialist and communist uh, societies, no, the first communist revolution was in 1917 by Russia's Bolshevik revolution. In their past history of 100 years, there was no even a single female state leader. Why? Because if you read Marxist Lenin, they say a lot about gender equality. But the system is something like one party system, one, you know, the leader of the system. It's very subvasive uh, a system. The people are supposed to obey all the instructions from the top. So it is really a top-down system of all socialist and uh, the communist system. So, if in the communist system is the only system where there is where. They can't produce any female Can I leader.
0: Just press you on that, though, yes. because one of the defining things about Kim Jong Un's style of government is his sister has come to, to prominence, yes. and also the the head yes. delegate in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on the Six Party Talks yes. is also female. Yes. Does is that part of something that defines his particular style? Is he more comfortable, do you think, around the company of women?
1: I think uh, uh, that is a really a good question. In the past, you know, there was. Uh, not that kind of, you know, female uh, the, uh, the elements around the supreme leader. For instance, when Kim Jong-il uh, uh, was the leader, even though he, has, he had uh, his sister Kim Jong hee but Kim Jong hee was just a kind of showcase. He did not have that kind of uh, exact influence. Or, but now it's different. So my judgment is that uh, what if Kim Jong-un accidentally or had a stroke has a stroke or whatever because of his uh, medical uh, the issues then someone should replace the kim jong-un and that kind of replacement can only come from kim family and who could be the next if there is something happens to kim jong-un so only the kim yo-jong can be the next successor of north korean system that's why maybe because of that Kim Jong Un is preparing a kind of post Kim Jong Un era by uh, giving more and more, I think, uh, the power or kind of you know the influence to his uh, sister, and he would like to change a kind of you know already established a kind of you know the images of the ladies, like you know Kim Yo Jong. After Kim Yo Jong, there is Chae Son Hee. Now he is the deputy. First deputy foreign minister after Kim Yo-jong, there is also Hyun sung So that's why she would like to bring uh, more and more female elements in order to prepare post Kim Jong-un, I think, the structure. That is my guess, No, nope. the, the, the fact yet.
2: Yeah. I actually had the same question. Uh, what's the secret uh, of uh, Choe success? I mean, success? She's now appointed as a, one of the senior members of the Korean Workers' Party. Um, she um, led the uh, DPRK team in the negotiation with the U.S. Uh, but she's the one, one, one of the very few who survived. Uh, Kim Yong chul is gone, yes. and, and uh, Kim Yong chul was gone, but now back. But she stayed and, and remained as a very powerful uh, a member of the party.
1: Yes. Oh, actually, uh, Choi soon uh, is the line of Lee Yong-ho, the current foreign minister. And Lee Yong-ho uh, served uh, quite a long time in uh, North Korean American negotiation, even in early of 1990s. So he almost served in just in one line uh, in uh, negotiation team, and Chesoni was the second line of it. And uh, Chesney uh, was a female diplomat. So, so the rest, the member of uh, this negotiation team, uh, if in North Korean diplomatic service after you work. It, Two or three years, you leave that team and you are posted abroad, so you have a uh, leave three or four years from that main li- uh, line, and then after your service in foreign countries, you come and join again. so there is a frequent leave uh, every three or four years, but Chessany was female, so she was never posted to embassy in her career. She always stayed in the past thirty years in that line she, she even didn't miss a single you know, the meetings with Americans. So, actually, she is the leading witness of the past the negotiations with America.
0: We unfortunately just have time for one final question, but I'd like to bring the focus back to Australia. This is, after all, your first visit here. Um, And the question is, uh, rather facetiously, how many North Koreans know that Australia exists? But (laughs) let's just uh, turn that around. I think the fact that we have so many people here... uh, coming to hear you tonight, shows that there is a great deal of interest in North Korea. What about impressions of Australia in North Korea? What do people know? What's the image of Australia that conjured up for most? Uh,
1: the name Australia uh, happens quite often in North Korean textbooks or novels because of Korean War. Uh, during the Korean War, you know, 14 foreign countries sent their troops, but majority of the uh, troops were army but australia at that time sent a uh, air fleet so it was uh the there were a lot of australian the the fights in the sky at that time in north korean terms it is co- i don't know why but the sound of australian uh, the, the fighters for something in north korean term we call it sek-segi, seksegi when when they hear the sound of different or uh, the uh Air flight, this thing, a fighter, they call it, that, that is Australians. So in general term, North Korean people misunderstood that
0: Australians are born good pilots. <laughs> I hope you're flying your back Qantas in that case. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when I first arrived to Sydney, I tried to look for uh, if there are many uh, private airplanes, small you know, private airplanes or private small uh, <coughs> airports. I was told that in Australia, before I came, when I was young, I thought Australia is a big country, but very little population. So if you want to travel from one village to another, you have to drive an airplane. No road or whatever. So most of the houses keep their small airports. <laughs> to keep their small airport. That's why Australian pilots were very good in Korean War. I'm, I'm not sure whether it is true or not, whether uh, you still really travel from one village to another by airplane.
0: I wish we could go on for another hour. I, I, think, I think there's plenty of material and interest there, but unfortunately, we do have to um, call it time uh, for this extraordinary audience with um, Tae Yong ho. Thank you to you um, for your questions and your interest uh, in the event. Thank you again. Jay Song and the Asia Institute uh, and um, let's make it uh, the first of many partnerships between the two institutions in future but most um, of all please show your appreciation for (laughs) Mr Tae Young Ho